Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. So this is week two of this series, Up and to the Right, and it's a series where we're talking about the Beatitudes. We're not going to cover all of the Beatitudes if you're, if you're clocking me and trying to see, okay, which ones did he, is he doing next? There will be one or two that gets left out just because I don't have enough calendar days to, to do them all before Christmas because this series is going to take us, it's hard for me to even say this out loud, it's going to take us up to Christmas. Can you believe that? Um, there's, a, there's a couple of things thrown in there that, that are going to be interrupting this series. One is uh, I'm on vacation basically the second half of, uh, of October. I do that every year and that's just, uh, that works well for me and, and I think you get a break for me and that's probably good for you too. Um, but uh, we also have an event happening called Chosen and the day that I want you to remember in your head, you might want to write this down somewhere, October 3rd. October 3rd. I will be here that day. I won't be preaching. We'll have somebody else preaching, but it's going to be awesome, and I don't want you to miss it. It's, a, it's one of those things that has the potential to be life-changing for you, okay? So write down October 3rd. We don't want you to miss it. The event is called Chosen. It's a part of our whole Celebrate 40 campaign, and uh, we're really excited about it. Um, the Beatitudes are found in, in the most famous sermon that was ever preached, that being the Sermon on the Mount, it was preached by Jesus. And in that sermon, I, you know, my youth pastor told me growing up, he used to tell us, our youth group, he said, listen kids, just, just, if you, just to make it easy for you, just read the Sermon on the Mount and do that. If you would just do that, you would be so far ahead of most people. Read the Sermon on the Mount and do that. So the Beatitudes are found there, and in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, it says, God blesses those, this is Jesus talking, God blesses those who are gentle, and then here's his promise, the whole earth will belong to them. <laughs> seriously. How can you take this seriously? This is about as extravagant a statement as has ever been made. The whole earth will belong to anybody who's gentle. Do I really believe that? I wouldn't, except that Jesus said it. And Jesus is not a liar. Jesus said, I am the truth. So somehow locked up in this statement of blessing is the idea that when you really learn what it means to be gentle, the world is yours. Now, in our hard-driving, ego-driven, market-driven uh, culture, you don't hear a lot about gentleness. Uh, and the reason for that is that we don't really understand what it means to be gentle. This is one of those passages we read and we just kind of go by it because we've heard it a thousand times and you know we don't want to think about that what does that even mean be gentle and inherit the earth what is that i mean who knows what that is we think gentleness means weakness like i was just talking about we think gentleness means weakness that weak people are the ones who who give in and and are gentle and and aren't you know loud and boisterous but, but in fact what jesus would say is it is the arrogant it's the prideful, it's the pushy, it's the rude, mean, gossip person who, who is weak. Jesus would say, when you get into that, those kinds of things, you're a weak person. And so the truly strong people in life are the gentle and the world will be there. So we're going to try and figure out what that means today. Uh, before we get too far along, I want to define this word for you for our purposes here this morning. Gentleness is strength under control. Strength under control. A gentle person does not overreact. A gentle person is not driven by their own emotions. 
They aren't somebody who's moody. They aren't somebody who flies off the handle easily. Um, A gentle person is someone that has their strength under control. The, the, The Greek word that we're looking at in this particular passage, Matthew 5, that we're calling gentle is the, is the Greek word praes, praes. And, and it's, you know, in the, in the old King James, like the old translations of the Bible, the 1611 King James, the way this word got translated was the word meek. You may have heard it that way. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, nobody uses that word anymore uh, because really meek has become a synonym for weak and nobody wants to be weak. But I'm telling you, gentleness, or praes, as it's used in Greek, is anything but weak. There are word pictures, when you get into Greek language, there are word pictures that present themselves. Certain words, the Greek language is very descriptive. It can be very pinpoint accurate. And um, the, the word picture, one of the word pictures that comes up with this word praes is the picture of a stallion, a wild beast in the field. No bridle, no, no, uh, you know, full of strength and, and just enormous, you know, just this, this powerful beast. And you bring that stallion in and you tame it and then that strength can be brought under control and that horse can be made useful for, for all kinds of things. A tamed horse is no less powerful, no less strong than a wild horse. It can go just as fast a, a, a praes horse is a gentle horse. It's been brought in, it's been tamed, and it's been made useful. When you learn true gentleness, then you are truly a man of God. Then you are truly a woman of God. Uh, it doesn't mean that you're weak. It doesn't mean that you're a doormat. It doesn't mean you lay down for everybody. It means that you are not overreacting. It means that you are not driven and controlled by your emotions, and you have strength under control. Today, I want us to look at strength and gentleness, the way that Jesus says you can be happy. So we're going to look at eight benefits. The scripture offers us, I think, eight um, benefits if we will just learn some gentleness in our life. And, um, you know, sometimes I preach sermons and I don't think they're very good, but you will leave and you'll tell me how much it meant to you. And I couldn't believe how many people walked out this morning and just shaking their head like, man, that, that's exactly what my family needed to hear. So hopefully this is true for you too. I, apparently there's some things in here for everybody. Once you understand what this quality can do in your life, you're going to say, I want to be a gentle man. I want to be a, a gentle woman because it brings so many blessings. So how... How learning to be gentle will bless your life. Number one, it diffuses conflict. Gentleness diffuses conflict. It is an antidote to anger. Proverbs 15, verse 1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Human beings tend to mimic what's put before them. If if somebody, you know, we have these things in our brain called mirror neurons. I don't fully understand this, but mirror neurons allow you to empathize with what's in front of you. So if someone's angry, you tend to get angry. If someone is, is mourning or is weeping, you tend to want to do that as well. If they get upset, you get upset. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Let me just give you a pro tip this morning, all right? This is something that'll help you in your life. Doesn't cost you anything. We're full service here at Cross Lane. This is free, all right? 
So this will save you a lot of heartache and a lot of problems and a lot of conflict, and I would love to tell you that I have mastered this in my life. I have not, okay? Um, this sermon has been very instructive for me. I've found myself this week saying a lot of this stuff to myself, trying to get this down. I preach to me before I ever preach to you, and I will just tell you, I'm not good at this. I'm working on it. I'm trying. But here's the tip. When other people raise their voice at you, you lower yours. You lower yours. See, I do the opposite. I just assume when I'm in a conversation with somebody and they don't agree with me, it's simply because they don't hear me. <laughs> so I just talk louder. And you just want to come alongside the preacher and say, Brett, buddy, that's not how it works, man. That's not how it works. Lower your voice. As the temperature goes up, you keep cool. You keep everything dialed down. Lower your voice. Keep your, keep your cool. If you can get there, that simple piece of advice could have an enormous impact and could reduce in large quantities the amount of conflict that you might run into in your life, in your marriage, in your parenting, at work, kids, at school. As other voices go up, you need to automatically lower your voice. That's called strength under control. Now, that is not normal. If they yell, we yell. But I'm just telling you, for years, this has been true at every turn. I've been telling you this since I've been preaching. At every turn, Christ is calling you against your human nature. It is human nature to mirror what you see. It's human nature that if someone's hateful to you, to be hateful back. It's human nature that if someone you know, pushes you to push back, to defend your turf and all that. Jesus calls you at every turn against your human nature. It's true in this case. Gentleness means that when you hear someone raising their voice, you just keep your cool and you lower yours. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 4. If your boss is angry at you, don't quit. A quiet spirit can overcome even great mistakes. When your boss comes in and just lets it fly on you, right? And you're standing there and you're taking this and you're like, man, dude, don't you understand what you're doing right now? I, didn't, I don't deserve this. It's really easy for that mirrored neuron to kick in and for you to want to elevate and, and come back at him and fight and raise your voice. I'm just telling you that it's, you, you got to stop and you, this is what you have to say to yourself. It's possible, and I would even say it like this. I hope it's the, I mean, I don't want anything bad to happen to his family or whatever, but it's possible that he just read a text that something's happened at home and it's got him stressed out. It's possible that he's got a kid at home that's sick. It's possible that he just had a conversation with his wife last night and they're not going to make it. It's possible that his boss just jumped down his throat and he doesn't know what to do other than turn around and jump down the throat of the next person he sees and it just happens to be you. You can have a great impact on that whole experience if you will dial down your temperature and find some gentleness and just understand, okay, if you can just say, I'm just going to assume that he doesn't mean this personally. I'm going to assume that he's had a bad morning. I'm just going to assume that this isn't what I think it is, and I'm going to be the one responsible for taking the air out of this conflict. We're going to deflate this situation. He says, when your boss gets angry with you, don't get angry back. Don't walk away from it either. Hang in there. A quiet spirit can overcome even great mistakes. Number two, gentleness not only diffuses anger, gentleness disarms critics. It disarms critics. 
the more successful you are in life, the more critics you are going to have. If you don't do anything with your life, if you don't ever say anything, if you don't ever accomplish anything, congratulations, nobody is going to criticize you. They could care less. But if you hope to do anything, if you're ever going to build something, or if you've got something to say, or you want, you want to accomplish something, somebody's going to come along and have something to say about it. If you stand for something, prepare to be criticized. People who stand for things get criticized. And the mere fact that you're enjoying success also means somebody's going to come along and not necessarily think that you're all that. So how do you handle the critics in your life, the people who gossip against you at school or at work and malign you and say bad things against you? Here's the point. When you respond with gentleness, it disarms your critics. Actually, what it does is it disappoints them. It disappoints them. See, when someone criticizes you on social media, what they're doing is they're trolling. They're they're just looking for for somebody. They're expecting you to get mad. They're expecting you to take the bait. They're trolling. A lot of people, especially now, these days, have anger addiction. The same way that you can can get addicted to a drug or to alcohol or to porn or any number of things that that people can get addicted to, the same way that can happen, some people get addicted to anger because it's the only way they feel alive. If if they get angry, they they get this sense of, it it almost makes them happy. The synapses start flying and and, and firing and, and, you know, things start happening in their spirit. Is it healthy? Probably not. Is it good for the people around them? Absolutely not. But for them, it makes them feel good. And they just, they get energetic if they can get mad at something or at somebody. And these people are always looking for a fight. Do you know somebody who does what I'm talking about? Don't look at them. <laughs> Don't look at them. But, but you may be married to somebody like that. You may say, you know what, that's my boyfriend. That, that's my daughter. Um, it, it just, that's the way it comes out. You, you may have had a parent like that. It just seems like they're always looking for a fight. They're picking. They're just picking, they're poking. Some people actually don't feel good until they get angry. And when they get angry, it energizes them, they feel a whole lot better. So you can't let them pull you in. Because somebody's going to say something to you, either on social media or somewhere, and, and you know they're just trying to get you to take the bait. And when you do, it's like, <clears throat> hooked them, right? And they start reeling you into this madness, and the next thing you know, you look around, and you're like, how in the world did I get dragged into this nonsense? It's because somebody trolled you. Somebody got you to fire off your mirrored neuron, and you started trading blows, and now you're into something you wish you could get yourself out of. They're trying to hook you. That's, that's what that situation's all about. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. We appeal, <clears throat> another word you would use there maybe is respond. We respond gently when evil things are said about us. We don't retaliate. We don't hit back. See, when somebody hurts you, um, that puts them below you. Someone hurts you, that puts them below you. If you answer in kind or if you try to pay them back, now you're even. But if you absorb that blow and you stay above it, now you've got the high ground. Trust me when I tell you, Life goes better when it's lived from the high ground, right? We know that. That's, that's true in life. That's true all around, but that's definitely true in relationships. When you 
can achieve the high ground, and I don't mean that in a haughty way, I mean that in a way where you're, again, strength under control. I'm going to take the high ground. I'm not going to respond in kind. I'm not going to try to hurt them back. I'm going to be bigger than that. I'm going to be gentle. We appeal gently when evil things are said about us. Titus says this, your conversation should be so sensible. Actually, Paul wrote this to Titus. Your conversation should be so sensible and logical that anyone who wants to argue will be ashamed of himself because there won't be anything to criticize in anything you say. Did you know that as a pastor, I am never supposed to be quarrelsome or in conflict? Did you know that? (laughs) Does that seem like an unbelievable standard to you? How would you like to live under that? You can't argue with anybody. Can't be in conflict. Can't get mad at anybody. Can't be quarrelsome. I am commanded by God to not argue. (laughs) Second Timothy chapter two, Paul is writing to Timothy, this young pastor, and he's telling him, this is how pastors behave. And this is what he says. And the Lord's servant, pastor, must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. You say, Brett, even to atheists? Yes, even to atheists. Even with people from other religions? Yes. Even with people from different lifestyles? Yes. Even with people that are hateful, say mean, nasty things and gossip and question your motives and everything else? Yes. He goes on. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to have tough skin and a tender heart. That's what I want. That needs to be our prayer. Lord, give me tough skin and a tender heart. Pastors, pastors can be snarky people sometimes. Um, not all of them. Most pastors that I've met and known, um, let, me just, let me just explain something to you. At Cross Lane, I am very well taken care of. I'm loved. I'm supported. The elders make sure we have what we need. I, I, I love going places where there are other pastors, and I brag on you and tell other places, you know, how good we're treated at Cross Lane. Um, but there are some pastors out there that have it pretty rough. They're not paid well. They can't please anybody. Everybody, you know, their, their church is full of contentious people. And why can't you be like this? And why can't you, you know, and we don't have that here. That doesn't happen here. And sometimes pastors... They're bless their hearts. They're working themselves. They're trying to be all things to all men, and and they're probably not good at any of them. And they don't have any help, and and it can make them angry, and it can make them a little snarky. And I've been around some with an attitude. I'm like, oof, I don't know how you're making it, dude. I don't know how you're doing it. But for the most part, I have great great respect for pastors because I know how hard this gig is, and, and I have great empathy. And um, most of them are really good guys doing the best they can to serve the people that God has given them to serve. But there's a, there's a pastor, pretty well known, if I said his name, you'd probably know it, um, in a big city. <laughs> he, he had this guy in his church at another church that didn't like him. <clears throat> and I don't know why, because this guy's awesome. I love this guy. But for 30, over 30 years, this other pastor has just taken shots at him, and anytime he gets interviewed in the press or whatever, he takes shots at this church and at this pastor and questions his motives and just can't say anything nice about this, this guy at all. 
And uh, one day, one of this, the, the pastor who was being criticized, one day one of his staff members came and had a piece of something in print and said, hey, pastor so-and-so said this about you. How are you going to respond to this? Are you going to respond? And the pastor who was being attacked said, what pastor so-and-so thinks about me in no way controls my response to him. And I have nothing but total respect for his ministry. I respect that. I respect that. Because I know how hard that is. You know how hard that is. Gentleness, strength under control. It's not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. It's not weak to do what that pastor did. It takes incredible strength Here's the funny part, the end of the story. Come to find out that this pastor that's been doing all this criticizing has a staff, and some of his staff have been secretly going over to this other church, being mentored by the pastor that their pastor has been criticizing, and he doesn't even know it, right? I just think that's awesome. Gentleness diffuses conflict. Gentleness disarms critics. Number three, gentleness is persuasive. Now, if you happen to have a career in sales, this is extremely important. If you sell a product or a service, you definitely need to learn gentleness. Why? Because the hard sell doesn't work anymore. You know, this idea, it used to be that you just got loud and you went fast and you got hard and strong and people would listen and they would buy your product. That doesn't happen anymore. You, you come on too strong and people just walk away. You come on too strong and they say, you know what, I'll just shop online, thanks. I, don't, I, don't, I didn't sign up for all this. The way it happens now is I see this a lot of times on social media. Hey, we're looking for a new car. We're thinking about this particular style of car. Do any of you own one of those, and what do you think of it, right? Or, hey, our family's looking for a movie that we can watch together. Can you name a good family movie that we could watch as a family together? And, and so you go out, and you're looking for somebody to give you feedback. That's, that's, the, the, that's the soft approach. That's not the hard sell. That's the softer approach. Because um, if you come on too strong, it's, I don't know about you, but if you come on too strong to me, I just kind of start backing away saying, you know what, I'll just, <laughs> I'll buy it online, thanks. Um, I'll go somewhere else. I'll go somewhere where they don't, they don't try to pressure me. Um, you know, I've talked to car people who sell cars, and, and the really good ones don't look at it as selling cars. The really good ones look at it as service. I'm trying to help them find what they're looking for. And I've even talked to car people that said, I'm trying to help them find what they're looking for even if it's not on our lot. Now that, that's better, right? That's helping people. That's being a servant. But the hard sell, I remember when I was little, I would come home from church. It was back in the days when there were three channels on the television and usually one of them had a football game on and I had to fight my sister for that But because we only had one TV. You know, in the 70s, you had one TV, right? One. And you fought for the, well, didn't have a remote. We were the remote. You fought over what channel you're going to watch. So I would watch, I would watch the football game, and there was this guy, this, he owned a car dealership. He would buy a lot of time for advertising. And it was one of those guys, you remember, it doesn't happen as much now, but you remember back in the day when, when um, you'd be watching television, and then the commercial comes on, and it's twice as loud as the program. You remember that? It was just like, drives you nuts. This guy would do that. He would come on, hey, you know, 
Cincinnati car dealership, and he would make all kinds of promises, loud, brash clothes, funky-looking hair. I mean, somebody, you're like, surely nobody buys a car from this man. And he just came on so strong. And I remember thinking, even as a little kid, if I could drive and if I was going to buy a car, I wouldn't get it from him. I don't like that guy. Who wants to get a car from him? Nobody wants to go see that guy. When somebody comes on really strong, isn't it your, in, your inclination to kind of back off? The hard, shell, the hard sell doesn't work like it used to. What works is gentleness. Most of the stuff you buy today, you buy because somebody recommended it. Proverbs 25, 15, a gentle tongue can break a bone. A gentle tongue is so powerful, it can break a bone. Parents, take note. I'm going to tell you something that's going to help you in your life, okay? Parents, listen to me. You're not going to convince your kids to be more like Jesus by yelling and screaming all the time. You're not. I have couples come to me sometimes with small kids and they're like, we, our, our house, Brett, help us. There's something going on in our house. We can't, we can't seem to get along. And one of the first questions I'll ask is, when you want your kids to come down for dinner, do you yell up the steps at them to come down for dinner? Well, yeah. Doesn't everybody? Yeah, everybody does, and you need to stop it. Stop yelling in your house for your kids. That's lazy. I know you're cooking. I know you're busy. I know you're doing stuff, but stop what you're doing. Walk to their room and say, supper's ready, or hey, could you come in here? We're going to do this. We'd like for you to join us. Bring the volume down. Stop yelling. Stop sticking your head out the window. Hey, you kids, come in. Now, is there anything wrong with that? No, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just if you want some peace in your house and you want to dial down the conflict, dial down the noise. Turn down the volume on your television or turn it off. Turn the volume down in the car so you don't have to yell over it to yell at your kids. Maybe turn the radio off sometimes and have a conversation with your kids. We've, we've got to dial down, make your house a quieter place, and I think what you'll find is that your house is a more gentle place. Because here's what happens. When you yell all the time, your kids are afraid of you. They're not going to tell you this. But when you yell all the time, do you know what they do? They tune it out. And what you become is Charlie Brown's teacher. You remember her? Wah, 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 wah. They couldn't tell you anything you said because the minute you started yelling, they just tuned you out. Right now, kids are going, don't look at me, don't look at me, right? Lower the volume. Pro tip, just lower the volume. Proverbs 25, verse 15. Patience and gentle talk can convince a ruler and overcome any problem. The word ruler there in the Bible, you could translate that boss or manager or supervisor for our purposes. Gentleness is persuasive. Proverbs 16, verse 21. A wise, mature person is known for understanding. The more pleasant his words, the more persuasive he is. Now, if I was reading my Bible and I came across that phrase, there are two words there that would shoot out at me, and I would circle them. I would circle the word pleasant, and I would circle the word persuasive. And I would draw a line to those, because those two words are connected. If I want something more pleasant... Then, then if I'm pleasant, then I'm more persuasive. 
If you want to be persuasive with your product or with your idea, if you want to be more persuasive at work, figure out a way to be more gentle. This is a mark of maturity. Wise people, mature people, are pleasant people. Idiots are rude and crude and mean. The more mature you are, the more pleasant you are, the more positive your speech is going to be. Write this down. I'm never persuasive when I'm abrasive. If the glove does not fit, you must acquit. <laughs> you know, that's the big hook today, is if I'm never persuasive if I'm abrasive. Number four, this is a big one, especially if you're looking for a mate. All the single people just went. Gentleness is attractive. Gentleness is attractive. Um, it seems that one of the laws in, in life is that I attract what I am. I don't attract what I want. I attract what I am. To attract a godly man, you have to be a godly woman. To attract a godly woman, you have to be a godly man. I've had women come, you know, their late 20s, they've tried the dating thing, it's not working out, their, their clock's running, you can tell, and they're freaking out because they're coming into 30 and they're not even more close to getting married and they're freaking out. And they're like, Brett, what's the matter with me? What's the matter with me? And I, this is what I say to them. Listen, you're spending all your time trying to look for Mr. Right. You need to spend your time making yourself Mrs. Right. Work on you. Work on you. So when that guy, because the guy you want is going to be discerning. The guy you want is going to be a little picky. You want to be the one he picks. So make sure you're everything he's looking for. Don't worry so much about finding him. You become Mrs. Right, he will find you. And a lot of this boils down to just being more gentle, humble, dialed down, strength under control, mature. You know, it's the rude, crude dude in a bad mood that walks up and says, I want one of them good women. You know? That'll... <laughs> I'm sorry, I hate it when it does that. I'm sorry. You remember that saying, have you ever heard this saying, I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't go with girls who do? Yeah, well, he's going to find one who does, probably, because that's, you know, that's who he is. But <laughs> you want to attract a godly woman, you want to attract a gentle woman, be a gentle man. Man, here's a verse for you. 1 Timothy 6, verse 11, as a man of God, pursue what God approves of. And then he gives you the five marks of a godly man. Good godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Gentlemen are gentle men. And ladies, here's a verse just for, for it, it's not just for the men, this is a verse for you. First Peter chapter 3. You should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God uses that term unfading beauty. Ladies, gentlemen, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but our beauty is fading. It's for some of us more than others, but it's fading. It's not gonna be there forever. You want a beauty that does not fade? You want the beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Gentleness is attractive. Number five, gentleness communicates love. It diffuses conflict, it disarms critics, it's persuasive, it's attractive, it communicates love. Guys, one of the quickest ways, is your marriage in trouble? One of the quickest ways to improve your marriage, are we leaning in? One of the quickest ways to improve your marriage is to speak more gently to your wife. 
That simple. Speak more gently to your wife. That's what she wants. She doesn't want you yelling all the time. She doesn't want you gruff. She wants you to be gentle. And she will notice when you start doing this. Things will change when you start doing this. Any fool can be selfish. Any fool can be loud and brash and and rough and rude. But your gentleness communicates love. A great marriage is really nothing more than, than the union of two really good forgivers. That's all it is. Two people that have figured out how to forgive one another. I don't ever mean to, but from time to time, I hurt Didi. I don't want to hurt Didi. I never intentionally hurt Didi, but when you're in a relationship with someone, you're in close proximity, it just happens from time to time. We hurt each other. And, and Didi is always, Didi is a good forgiver. And, and when I apologize and say, babe, I didn't, I'm sorry, that came out wrong, or I didn't mean to do that, or I, you know, I let you down there, she's like, I forget, it's okay. When we're able to be gentle with each other, there's a healing that goes with it. You want your marriage to be better, you'll figure out this idea of gentleness. It's not just effective in marriage, it's also effective with kids. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not exasperate them to the point of resentment. Don't raise the standard so high that your kids go, who can live under that? Who can do that? I can't do that. I um, my, was home this weekend. I saw mom and dad. My brother came over Friday night, which just livens the party instantly. And we got to talking about growing up, and we got to talking about how dad used to yell. My dad was, was kind of gruff, and he was a truck driver. And, and he was the best-dressed truck driver you've ever seen. He would dress up. He wanted his shoes polished. He's always been really particular about his shoes. Well, polishing the shoes fell to me and Scott. And I hated the job because I could never, I told dad the other day, I said, I hated, I hated polishing your shoes. He said, why? I said, because I could never satisfy you. You know, I would do them and I would put them down, you know, almost like an offering, you know, and you, you back away slowly, like, you know, and hope that it, that it met with his approval. And, you know, I was, admittedly, I've, I've always been kind of sensitive. And I, as a youngster, I was really, really thin-skinned and sensitive. And I didn't like to be yelled at. And, you know, he, what he meant as just constructive criticism, I interpreted as hateful. He didn't mean it that way. And I know that now. But that's, that was the feeling I had. I just wanted to throw my hands up and go, it's useless. I can't, I can't please him. And so we had a great talk about that the other night. He goes on, do not exasperate them to the point of resentment with demands that are trivial or unreasonable or humiliating or abusive. Nor by showing favoritism or indifference to any of them, but bring them up tenderly. Could you we use the word gently there? with loving kindness in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Number six, gentleness earns respect. Proverbs chapter 11, a woman of gentle grace will be respected. That's true of men. This calls to my mind Mother Teresa. I love, Mother Teresa is one of my heroes. Here's this little old woman. She's about four and a half feet tall, frail, this diminutive Romanian none, Catholic none, just, just a wisp of a thing. And, and yet, when she, who had, she had no power, she, she had no political clout, and yet when she came to America and went to Washington, D.C., she literally stopped traffic 
Washington, D.C. came to a standstill when Mother Teresa was coming into town. She went to see, I think it was the Senate, and all these powerful senators were basically just almost kneeling to her. She commanded such respect. They thought so highly of her. She probably never spoke above a whisper. I've heard her talk. I never heard her talk very loud. But, but she just had this presence. And, and who was more gentle than Mother Teresa? Gentleness commands respect. Every great leader is a gentle leader. Abraham Lincoln, Gandhi, George Washington, Dr. Martin Luther King, great leaders are gentle. Number seven, gentleness is a witness to unbelievers. Non-believers are watching you all the time. You may not think so. You go to work. People know that you go to church. They hear you talk about Cross Lane. Hey, we were at church last week. This happened. You may not think they're paying attention. They're paying attention. And when someone jumps down your throat or if something happens and you've got a chance to be gentle or you've got a chance to really let somebody have it, People are watching. They tune in. They want to see how you're going to do it. They want to see if you're any different than anybody else. Paul wrote this to Titus. Believers shouldn't curse anyone or be quarrelsome. See, you thought it was just pastors that couldn't be quarrelsome. Turns out you're under that same instruction too. You're not supposed to argue. You're not supposed to be quarrelsome. You're not supposed to be in conflict. Not if you're following Jesus. Believers shouldn't curse anyone. You say, Brett, even people that hurt you? Yes, even people that hurt you. But they should be gentle and show courtesy to everyone. If you know the vision statement at Cross Lane, say it with me on three. One, two, three. Bringing people to Jesus. Very good. Can we do it again a little louder? Bringing people to Jesus. Let me just tell you something about that mission statement. You can't do that with an enemy. You can't bring an enemy to Jesus. The only way you can bring somebody to Jesus is to turn them into a friend. And then you build a bridge from your heart to their heart that Jesus can walk across and change their life. That's what we're trying to do. People will not trust you until they first trust what they see in you. They don't, they're not, you know, they're not going to... It's not about whether or not they know the Bible's credible. They're looking at you to see if you're credible before they listen to you say anything about the Bible. They want to know, are you credible? Are you the person you claim to be? Are you genuine? Are you the real deal? Are you full of integrity? Are you compassionate? If people like what they see in you, they will listen to what you say. Gentleness is a witness to unbelievers. Now let me give you a warning. If you do that, if you try to be good to people that you know, aren't necessarily in your camp and that you don't always uh, agree with, there are going to be some people that criticize you. Some Christians may not understand and, and might decide to criticize you. You know what? Jesus hung out with all kinds of people who he didn't agree with. He never compromised. He never compromised. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. You don't go around thumping on Bibles, telling people to turn and burn or you're going to die and fry. That doesn't go very well. That's not helpful. If you're doing that, you are not helping us, okay? That hurts us. Gentleness witnesses to unbelievers. Number eight, gentleness makes me like Jesus. This is one of my favorite verses in the whole Christian Bible. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, 
and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I tell people this all the time. If following Jesus stresses you out, you're doing it wrong. Okay? If you're stressed out trying to follow Jesus, you're doing something wrong. we got to talk. Let me help you with that. I can, I can help you with that. Two questions. Doesn't this mean that if I want to be like Jesus, I've got to be more gentle? Yes. Number two, is it possible that the stress you're feeling in your life and the pressure that you feel in your life are because you're not gentle? Yes. Scripture says the more gentle you become, the more Christ-like you become. And when you do that, the more peace you're going to have. The reason you're stressed out all the time and the reason you're tired and the reason you feel all this pressure is because you are not gentle. Jesus says, if you come to me, I'm going to give you rest. I'm going to give you what's good for your soul. I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to take the pressure away from you. You say, man, Brett, that's what I want. I want more peace. I want less pressure. That's what I want. I want to be more gentle. I'm just, okay, I'm going to work on it. I'm going to make myself more gentle. I'm going to be more gentle. You know, I'm going to make it happen. I'm just telling you, you can't fake it. You can't manipulate it. You, you cannot manufacture it. It is an inside job. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul gives us what we call the fruit of the Spirit. There's like nine different things there. One of the phrases, one of the words that are placed in that whole description of the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. That means when the Spirit of God comes in, He starts to manufacture that in you. When you walk with Christ and you stay in lockstep with Him, you become gentle the way He was gentle. You're humble. We are not by nature humble, gentle people. I say it again, at every turn, Christ calls you against your human nature. It takes prayer. Lord, help me to be gentle with every person I meet today. Keep me in a place of humility. Help me to see others as more important than me. Help me to speak softly. Help me to listen intently. Help me to have empathy. So here's the question. How could you practice this this week? How could you do this this week? I'm going to give you three statements and we're going to close, okay? This next week, when someone serves me, be understanding, not demanding. Be understanding, not demanding. That's what gentleness is. It's, it's strength under control. When you go to a, a restaurant and someone serves you, if you're going to be helped by a secretary, if you're going to go to a government office this week and get service of some kind, if, if you're going to go to a fast food restaurant, be gentle. Be kind. It floors me. I'll be... It, it amazes me how little time can pass before somebody gets impatient and starts rolling their eyes and making statements at some little girl or little guy behind the counter that's doing the best they can to fill an order. You know, and you see them fold their arms and, you know, the body language, and then they start muttering, and, you know, and the more that happens, this little guy, he's doing the best he can, and it's clear he hasn't been working but a week. He doesn't know the system very well, and the harder he tries, the more mistakes he makes, and the more mad this guy gets, and I'm like, come on, dude. Cut this kid some slack. I mean, he's trying to help you. Can you be patient? I wonder what our reputation would be if I could bring the people that wait on us, the people that you buy. I, like, there's certain places I go all the time. 
if we brought them in and they started looking around, what they would say? Oh, they come into our place. They're not very nice. Oh, they, that guy comes in and he's really a good tipper. That, that girl doesn't tip at all. And that guy, I haven't never seen that guy smile. What would they say about Cross Lane if they came in and started telling the truth about how we treat the people who, who serve us? Be understanding, not demanding. Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Don't be concerned only about your own interests, but also concerned about the interests of others. Have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. I love going to dinner with my, my buddy Michael because he always makes the server. He goes out of his way to make the server. I've seen him say, sit down here and talk to us for a minute. Well, I can't really do that. Yes, you can. I'm the customer. Sit down here and talk to us for a minute. Take a load off. And then when it's all done, we tip like crazy, you know, because we want them to feel good. It's, it's fun going to, to dinner with Michael. When people serve you this week, be understanding, not demanding. Number two, when someone disagrees with me, be tender without surrender. Gentleness does not mean that you sacrifice your convictions. Okay, Jesus was around all kinds of people that didn't agree with him. He was around all kinds of sinners, people that he got criticized for being around. He never compromised his convictions, but he loved every single one of them. Some of you are my dear friends, and, and we would be on opposite sides of different ideas, right? That's just what life is. We, we have different opinions about things. We have different experiences. We come at life differently. And if we sat down to have a conversation... It would be my hope, and I, certainly from my end, I would want to listen to your side. I would try to listen and not interrupt, although that's hard for us, right? I would try to listen and not interrupt. I would try to understand what formulates your viewpoint, what makes you think that way. How did you come to that? Do you know something I don't know? Do I know something that might have an impact on that, and may, maybe I would offer it? But I wouldn't shut you down. I wouldn't be hateful and mean. Again, I would assume that you don't hear me, so my voice would probably go up. But I wouldn't compromise my convictions, and probably you wouldn't either, but you can be civil in that. And we've lost that as a country, and it bothers me. Romans chapter 4, verse 1. Welcome with open arms fellow believers who don't see things the way you do, and don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with. Which is really the exact opposite of what you see on online these days he goes on even when it seems that they are strong on opinions but weak in the faith department treat them gently that's being like jesus number three when someone disappoints me be gentle not judgmental galatians 6 if someone is caught in a sin you who live by the spirit should restore that person gently but watch yourselves or you may also be tempted when i was a freshman in college I'd been there about two weeks. We used to have devotions on our floor right before bedtime, and I remember one of the upperclassmen came out. I came to a place where I got to know him pretty well, came to really respect him, and he did a devotion one night before we went to bed, and he used this passage that I'm going to read to you, and I never forgot it. It made, an, it made an impact on me. I've never forgotten it. Listen to this. Be gentle with one another, sensitive, Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God and Christ forgave you. Here's what I can tell you. God has been gracious to you. He has forgiven you of more than he will ever ask you to forgive anybody else. I have been 
given so much grace by God, God will never ask me to give the kind of grace that he's given to me. But he does ask me to be gracious and he does ask me to forgive. He does not, he's not glorified when I'm judgmental. He's not glorified when I, when I you know, have harsh things to say that doesn't glorify God. What glorifies God is a gentle spirit. God blesses those who are gentle. The whole world will belong to them. Why? Because they don't overreact. Because they have strength under control. Praes. Praes, the stallion. That's what we are. Let me pray over you before you go out into a world that's not very praes. Let's pray. Father, we've been challenged this morning. A lot of what we've talked about today goes against our very human nature, and I pray, Lord, that we would be able to overcome some of our temptations. I pray that we would find this new level of of gentleness, which leads us to new places of empathy and graciousness and and generosity. And Father, I just, uh, I ask your richest blessing on people as they've come this morning to be blessed, and I pray as they leave, they leave to be a blessing. As they go to restaurants today, may they be generous tippers. May they have smiles on their faces. May they not have have lofty expectations on some poor little girl or some poor little boy that's just doing the best he can to meet their need. Help us, Father, to be the people who reflect Jesus in this community that reflect the gentleness of Jesus, not forsaking our convictions, firmly holding on to our convictions, but making room for everybody at the table. May that be us, Father. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.